Welcome to season two of the Aging Project podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together we're here to uncover and explore the secrets to healthy, fabulous, vibrant aging. We've done the research and we've found the best guests ready to help you flourish at any age. So join me as I ask the big questions, your questions, to some of the world's leading authorities in health wellness and lifestyle. Think of them as your own support aging mentors, a group of experts that are here to make the little changes turn into a big difference for us. The Aging Project was created to help you age well, to help us all age well together. So welcome to the Aging Project podcast. We have heard the quote that our bodies are our most important piece of real estate that we are ever going to own, and that is so true. And after reading Dr Libby's latest book, Women's Wellness Wisdom, it struck me just how little I understand my own body. In the book's introduction, Dr Libby writes, I want this book to teach you that your body is the most insightful barometer, offering you feedback about your choices, which got me thinking I need to learn some more. So let's welcome Dr Libby to better understand what are some of the signs that our bodies are telling us. Dr Libby, it's so great to have you with us here on The Aging Project. Oh, great to be with you, Shelley. Thank you so much for sharing such valuable information. Well, we're just reinforcing everything that you have spent your life learning, really, haven't we? <laughs> well, I hope so. And I mean, any work you do in the world, you want it to be useful, don't you? Because we, it's the changes come when we take action on the things that resonate for us. So hopefully after listening to this today, people take some new actions that enhance the quality of their life. I'm sure they're going to. This is obviously a journey that you've been on your your whole adult life, really. Of course, being a biochemist, obviously something that you study and love deeply. Has that learning changed since you've got a little bit older? Yes, very much. I started out studying nutrition and dietetics and then I studied biochemistry. I did a PhD in that and I came out of that wanting to support women with their health in understanding the inner workings of their body, the way things like, for example, the constant relentless production of stress hormones interferes with our sex hormone balance, interferes with thyroid function, all that type of stuff. And then as I've gotten older, what's become just clearer and clearer to me is that it is really our emotional landscape and our perceptions, our beliefs and our values that have the biggest impact on our experience of life and on our on our biochemistry. So my latest obsession is very much helping people to understand why they do what they do, even though they know what they know, because it's not a lack of knowledge, for example, that leads us to polish off a packet of chocolate biscuits after dinner. No one does that thinking, oh, I'm going to feel so fabulous after I do that. <laughs> In the moment, so, that's very different. Though. You do feel fabulous while you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but we often judge ourselves really harshly after we make a choice like that because we do know better and uh, it doesn't matter if we do that twice a year, but if we're doing it six times a week, it can have a really lousy impact on our quality of life. So that's, yeah, as I've matured, I guess that's really where my, my curiosity lies in understanding more about human behaviour. So this latest book, Women's Wellness Wisdom, it really is about understanding our bodies better. How have we become so disconnected from actually listening to the signs that are going on and listening to our own bodies? Where did this disconnect begin? Do you know, Shelley, I really think that a really awful encouragement for women to focus on their body fat a long time ago and the shape and size of their body 
was the beginning of the disconnect. Mm -hmm. And women uh, were taught that the calorie equation, i.e. how much you eat versus how much you burn off is going to, is the sole determinant of body shape and size. And so then the older you get, the more you realize that those, that that doesn't really work anymore. And I feel that because women think a lot of women still believe that that calorie equation is the sole creator of body shape and size it leads women to feel like their body betrays them. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel like the choices you're making, are, you're no longer getting the outcomes uh, that you orig- that you once got sort of 20 or 30 years ago, you, yeah, you feel like your body is betraying you instead of going, okay, what is this teaching me? Mm-hmm. Is that my body, because I see the body as an extraordinary barometer, it can be our absolute best friend if we allow it to be. It doesn't have a voice, but it gives us symptoms to let us know whether it's happy or not with our choices. And it's usually trying to give us feedback about the way that we eat, drink, move, think, breathe, believe, or perceive, or it can be a number of those areas. And, in, and initially, I think our body whispers to us with little niggly things, prod, prod, poke, poke, and we think, oh, I'm too busy to deal with it. Or if that's prodding me to drink less coffee, for example, I don't really want to hear that message, so I'm going to ignore it. And then eventually, when we stop listening to the whispers, it will roar at us. Mm-hmm. And when it roars, it's very uncomfortable or it can be incredibly debilitating. And I really hope that these conversations stop the debilitating symptoms from happening. I want to encourage women to listen to the whispers. It's like anything though, really, isn't it? Whether it be um, a relationship or your job, there are always those whispers. And if you're not listening, it's like you hit a brick wall when it actually um, becomes very, very clear. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there have been those little whispers all the way along in, in all of those situations and our bodies are no different really. Yes, exactly. And if we can see it, if we can approach it with curiosity rather than frustration, so it's not you'll never eat hot chips again, it's just your quality of life is entirely different if you have hot chips 10 times a year versus five times a week. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not ignoring, it's not about missing out on the things you think, the things that you love when you pay attention to the whispers. It's about you, or I hope it helps women to get more in touch with just how extraordinary their body is to create even greater sense of energy, flexibility and strength so that we have those qualities across our entire lifetime because I think that for too many of us, we live too short and die too long. Mm-hmm. We're fortunate that we, that we, um, you know, we have increasing life expectancy, but it's the quality of people's lives that I care about so sincerely. You still want to be able to bend over and do up your own shoelaces in the second half of your life. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, to become so inflexible that you can no longer reach your feet. And part of what's going to contribute to that is if you're too sedentary in the first half, it's going to set you up for possibly lots of stiffness, you know, in the second half. So, but we don't tend to think like that. We, we often wait for the roar to happen. We, we don't listen to those little whispers and it's, um, yeah, the, the choices we make now don't just impact how we feel, function and look today. They're going to impact what our whole future looks like. That's it. We really want to do the splits into our grave, don't we? That's how I want to go. I want to be completely mobile until the day that I'm not. And that's it. That's it. Done. Gone to sleep. No more. Yeah. In season one, we had a wonderful conversation with Catherine Maslin all about gut health, um, and she obviously introduced us to the way that our body is talking to us. In your book, you discuss the liver, which is a topic we actually don't hear that much about, but it's one of the big guns in our body, isn't it? It's one of our most vital organs. 
It certainly is. It plays such a huge role in detoxification. In the, uh, it stores nutrients. It moves nutrients around the body. Actually, let me just touch on detoxification a little bit because it gets a lot of confusing press. So, detoxification is a process that's always going on inside of us. We wouldn't be here without it. However, the lifestyle choices we make can influence how efficiently our liver is able to do that critical detoxification work. Mm -hmm. So all detoxification is, is a transformation process. So it takes, the liver takes substances that if they were going to accumulate inside us, they would be a problem for us. And it takes those things and transforms them, transforms their structure into a different structure so that we can then incorporate the new little thing into our urine or our fecal matter and get rid of it from our body. So not everything that enters the body can immediately exit. Some things have to undergo detoxification and that's things like alcohol. So when we take alcohol in, the human body can't eliminate alcohol. We have to change it into a another substance called acid aldehyde people don't need to worry about the big stupid words but alcohol changes gets converted into acid aldehyde and that's actually the thing that if we can't clear that efficiently from our body that's actually what gives people a headache and a, and a hangover uh, the liver doesn't just have to deal with things that we might ingest it's got to deal with what we uh, obviously eat and drink but what we put on our skin you've only got to look at the way nicotine patches work to realize that our skin is a direct route to our blood supply. See, that's frightening, so isn't it, when you think about it like that? Mm, so it's it's part of when I talk to people about looking after their liver, it's about I, I, I like people to look at it as this overall, let's decrease your whole body burden. Mm -hmm. So, for example, when you run out of body lotion, you might explore a ver something to put on your body that doesn't contain any rubbishy kind of ingredients uh, or you might use, you know, jojoba oil, avocado oil, something like that. So you start to look at how can I just slowly remove some of the load, if you like, on my liver. Right. So lighten and the load so that when you do perhaps have the bucket of chips and a couple of beers at the same time, your liver's working at its, its highest function so that stuff can clear quickly and more easily. Yeah, you got it. And so it's, but it, it's not just about addressing the liver load is going in I think it's also so important to understand and appreciate that nutrients run liver detoxification pathways so for example and there are two phases to liver detoxification well there's actually technically three stages to liver detoxification but the third one happens in the gut so we'll just focus on phase one and two so if you can imagine that the substance that has to be transformed arrives at the front door of the liver and it has to travel through the phase one pathway. So just imagine that, that the thing is traveling along a road. And so the nutrients needed for phase one are things like B vitamins, iron, and iron is the most common nutritional deficiency in the Western world. So there are pockets of Australia and New Zealand where women, between 25 and 30% of women, across certainly across the menstruation years, uh, during pregnancy uh, are iron deficient. It's it's a real concern because iron's needed obviously for energy, for the oxygenation of all of our tissues, for thyroid function, but also uh, for liver detoxification. So the, the substance arrives at the front door of the liver, travels along phase one, and then it pops out and then it needs to be taken into the phase two pathways. Mm -hmm. And ideally that happens really efficiently. More nutrients are needed for phase two, things like sulfur, which we get from garlic, onion, shallots. Uh, it's also in our brassica family of vegetables. So broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts. It's also in egg yolks. 
Uh, and we also need amino acids for phase two, which we get from all of our beautiful protein foods. And so if the thing that's arrived at the front door can travel through phase one, phase two, beautifully and efficiently, it will then be delivered uh, or be able to exit the body in our urine or our feces. Mm -hmm. However, what happens for lots of people very gradually over their lifetime is that these phase two pathways get all banked up like traffic on a motorway. So where once the, the whatever's needs detoxifying zoomed through, now it might get through phase one, no problem, but it sits there in the middle of the liver going, oh, I need to get onto my exit ramp. Come on, phase two. But it's so busy with the chips and the beers and the Chardonnay and the biscuits that the phase two can't let, won't take it. And so a good way to picture what happens is we then start to recycle some of these problematic substances and that's when our health really does begin to suffer. So to, to really support our liver, we, we want to decrease our liver loaders and we want to make sure we're eating plenty of whole real food to give it the nutrients it needs to do its beautiful work. That is a perfectly graphic description, Dr. Libby. <laughs> we got to get our motorways working efficiently. And no, you know, every person out there hates sitting in traffic. So imagine what is going on inside our bodies and why we would do that. That's it. <laughs> so the skin, where does the liver actually sit within our bodies? It's obviously one of, the, one of our biggest organs too, isn't it? It is. It's in behind our right rib cage. Mm -hmm. So if you if you put your hand over the bottom of your right rib cage, and if you reach around under your right rib cage, mm -hmm. you can actually it, it's tucked in up under there. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not the only organ responsible for detoxification. Obviously, uh, our digestive system continues to do work there. The gut microbiome, the bacteria that live in our gut, play a really big role. Actually, really fascinating um, thing for for listeners to really consider is. Our, our liver has to detoxify estrogen. So across our whole lifetime, so obviously in the menstruation years, we make estrogen from our ovaries, our body fat and our adrenal glands and a few other places in really small amounts. And then postmenopausally, we continue to make estrogen from our body fat and from our adrenal glands. And also the body has the ability to convert testosterone into estrogen. And at menopause, testosterone levels don't drop the way estrogen levels do. They, testosterone levels usually stay where they are. And we, make an en, we can make an enzyme, and we don't want too much of this, we make an enzyme called aromatase that can convert testosterone into estrogen. And we don't, we don't actually want that happening too much. But so my point being, across our whole lifetime, we need to be able to detoxify estrogen really efficiently. Mm -hmm. And one, so a good way to picture it is no matter where, no matter from where the body has produced estrogen, it exerts its effects by binding to a receptor site. So a lock and a key come together, estrogen pops into the receptor and exerts its lovely or sometimes it's not so lovely effects. But it doesn't last forever. And once it's done its job, it pops out of that receptor site, arrives at the front door of the liver because it has to. its structure has to be changed before we can get rid of it. So it goes through phase one, phase two. And if it does that successfully, a good way to picture what happens is it comes out the end of the liver and it's in an envelope and the envelope is all sealed up and then it hops on the back of a truck and the truck, which is a transporter, takes it to the gut bacteria. And there are bacteria in uh, our large intestine that are part of the microbiome and it's, they are specifically there to deal with estrogen. It's called the estrobilome. And so when the estrogen in its little envelope is taken to those bugs, some of those bugs produce an enzyme with a big, long, silly name called beta-glucuronidase, 
And though that, that enzyme has the ability to open the envelope and you don't want that to happen because it puts the estrogen back into circulation. So that's, we now talk about that as almost phase three detoxification. So when we're talking about the liver, when people think of detoxification, yes, the liver plays the biggest role, but it's also our colon because of our microbiome. Our kidneys are constantly filtering our blood. So your urine is actually your blood having been filtered. And it's one of the way problematic substances leave the body. Our skin obviously is our biggest organ and it's protecting uh, and housing all of our organs, but it's also allowing problematic substances to leave the body via perspiration. The respiratory system plays another key role in detoxification. Uh, you know, even when we're, we're breathing, the, the hairs inside of our nose are filtering what we're taking in. It's another reason why nose breathing is so good as opposed to mouth breathing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a process going on all the time inside of us. And we want to allow our body to be able to do that critical work uh, really easily rather than be endlessly under strain. But everything has to pass through the liver to then be expelled, no matter which way your body goes about it. Yeah, and sometimes it'll end up in urine and sometimes it'll end up in the faecal matter, but the liver has to change a lot of those structures, yeah. So how do you know when your liver needs some love? What are the signs that we need to tune into? What are those little knocking on the door niggles that we're going to feel, going to get? Well, there are there are many and they're quite broad. So sometimes people notice that they start to retain fluid. Other people... Uh, notice that they get what I call a liver roll. So the best way to imagine that it's it almost comes under our bra line, under our where under our breasts, and it's this. You sit down and you notice this. You've got this new roll that sort of pushes forward just there. And when you actually make I'm just feeling under my cardi now, Libby, just to see <laughs> what's, going, what's going on under there. <laughs> It's all good, Shelley. It's yeah. all good. <laughs> For the minute, yes. <laughs> but when we notice that a little a little roll starts to protrude from under our bra line, uh, yeah, it's it it can be a sign that the liver needs more love. Yeah, and can't blame that on children, can you? <laughs> no. And interestingly, uh, it responds very quickly. So once you take steps in your with your lifestyle choices to address uh, and support your liver, mm-hmm. most people say to me, it shrinks back really quickly. Other things might be slower to change, but that little roll there can shrink back very quickly. Oh, my goodness. Um, I can see everyone sitting either on an aeroplane listening yeah. to this, in their cars, in the school pickup line, at their office desks, just going, wow. <laughs> there is a real telltale sign right, right there. Holy yeah. moly. <laughs> We um, you start, sometimes start to notice that you wake up between 2 and 4 a.m. And especially if you're waking up and you're hot, that can be another sign that the liver needs some love. Sometimes it'll come with uh, through our skin. So uh, when I was still seeing patients, when someone would, if they came to me to say, you know, help me sort out my skin, is it something nutritional that's happening? What's the go? The first thing I would focus on were the waste disposal units of the body if you like so how is the waste leaving the body because some we don't want the skin to have to step in to be another pathway of elimination we want the bowels and the urinary system to do that work so sometimes it'd be congested skin sometimes it would be uh, related to sex hormones and obviously the liver's got to clear detoxify uh, sex hormones before they can actually be cleared from the body mm-hmm. it might come through with rosacea uh, lot, you know new lots of red flushing in the face sometimes 
not always, that can be all sorts of things, but sometimes that was a sign that the liver needed a bit more support. Sometimes floaters in the vision, that can also be iron deficiency, mm-hmm. uh, but floaters in the vision is common. And then uh, you also, the best way I can say it is you are newly impatient and you're newly irritated. So it's not, you haven't always been that way, but suddenly I remember a lady coming to see me and once and she said, even the potholes drive me crazy. <laughs> whereas, here, here. You know, <laughs> whereas, you know, there are certain times when the pot, you think, oh, it'd be good if the potholes got filled in, but it's not this where you really get fired up. My mum calls it gritty. So you get just, mm-hmm. it's like the, it's a bit gritty. That can also be a sign that the liver needs a bit more support. And this obviously happens across uh, both sexes, any age. If your liver's not functioning well, these aren't just symptoms because obviously a lot of those those symptoms are, I guess, likened to to perimenopause as well. Um, the waking up, you know, the the irritability, the um, feeling hot at certain times of day, all those things. But this can happen for for men and for younger people as well. This isn't just um, us in our forties and over. Absolutely, Shelley and. Unexplained weight gain is also or can also be part of it and changes in our blood fats, in our cholesterol and in our triglyceride levels. And part of that is there's so we have we can accumulate we can actually accumulate fat in our liver. And not that long ago we only saw the accumulation of fat in chronic alcoholics, and there was a condition called chronic alcoholic fatty liver disease. Whereas now we're seeing the accumulation of fat in people as young as teenagers who haven't had any alcohol, and it's simply because of the amount of processed food and drink they're consuming. So there are signals the liver can receive to actually switch on its own production of fat. And if you can imagine that the liver is made up of trillions of tiny cells. So imagine a cell is you've taken a pencil and drawn a circle and there's trillions of tiny little circles that actually make up the structure of the liver. And all of those cells have different jobs, but if they get taken over by a globule of fat, so instead of being a functional liver cell, they've now been replaced by just a blob of fat, you're losing liver function. And not, there's a new condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and that's diagnosed when people have 5%, when 5% of their liver is now taken up by globules of fat. There's also another condition that's very new called non-alcoholic uh, steatohepatitis. It's abbreviated to NASH, N-A-S-H, uh, and that's diagnosed when someone has 10% fat accumulation in the liver. And the only way to know that is with an ultrasound. And so sometimes people, very men and women across their lifetime, experience an increase in body fat that doesn't really make sense to them based on their the way they're living eating moving etc and there are many reasons that can many things that can contribute to that but liver fat is one of them because it changes the metabolism of so many other things in the body so high cholesterol can be another high blood cholesterol can be another sign that the liver needs some love so is is the fatty liver um reversible can yes, you it is. That? The liver has the most incredible capacity to heal. We've just got to be able to give it what it needs to be able to do that. And obviously that requires lifestyle choices and that requires a real deep desire to look after yourself. And I feel that it's often the beliefs people have about themselves that can be in the way of that. A lot of people very, very sadly don't really deep down believe they're worth taking care of. And the reason that I think, number one, understanding how the liver works, but also 
really appreciating just how extraordinary your body is. Mm. I think the reason those things are important is because when you do need to make lifestyle choices to begin to heal a fatty liver, it's not, it can't come from a place of I'm not allowed to have that because you won't stick to it otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's got to come from, okay, I really, my liver is so extraordinary and it does so much important work. And when it works well, I feel amazing and I have the energy that I need to enjoy my life. I sleep well. I respond with calmness and consideration to the people I love the most in the world. So you sort of see the ripple effect, if you like, of great liver function. And so then you're making the choice because you, to look after it because, well, firstly, you understand how it works and it comes from this place of really caring for yourself and your quality of life rather than I'm not allowed to have it. It's such a vicious cycle though, isn't it? Because if you're not in a good frame of mind, the last thing you want to do or are going to do is put energy into yourself. But if you could put energy into yourself, then your frame of mind is going to become better and stronger and around and around and around it goes. Exactly. And I think the the three, and research has shown this, the three big areas obviously that have the biggest impact on how we feel on a daily basis is our food, our movement and our sleep. And I think sometimes when I say that people think, oh, all three of those areas are chaotic for me. But if you just pick one and really commit to one of those, it usually has an upward spiral effect on the others. So it might be that you don't sleep well. And if you really become really determined and committed to I'm going to solve my sleep. I am going to get to the heart of why I don't sleep properly because if you start sleeping properly, you'll wake up with better energy. You'll naturally want less caffeine. Lots of people are in a really vicious cycle of they warm up with caffeine in the morning and then they cool down with alcohol in the evening. And between those two ends of the day, they want to smash a heap of sugar because they desperately need energy in the middle of the afternoon. So it's it's when we sleep well, it can help to be, break that cycle, which you know then leads you to want fewer of those things. We are, without doubt, our worst enemies in, in, in every area of life, aren't we? It's crazy, though, that the body, obviously, it's such an extraordinary machine and it all works together and every little bit helps the other bit, whether it is our skin, as you say, whether it is nose breathing, whether it does come down to our liver or our kidneys. But we're such highly evolved machines and yet it seems like our, our bodies certainly aren't evolving as fast as our lifestyle perhaps has. Mm. So a good way to picture it, so science suggests humans have been on the planet somewhere between 150,000 and 300,000 years. So if we, let's say that enormous expanse of time is represented by a one kilometre walk, you think of all the things that have changed in the last, I call it the commercial era, so the last 75 years since the back end of World War II, that's when we saw the introduction of pesticides to the food supply, the introduction of colour TV, credit cards, mobile phones, the internet, social media, on and on it goes. So the rate of change we've seen in the last 75 years is so rapid and that that 75 years on our one kilometre walk in the evolution of our species, 75 years is a step. So it's this tiny amount of time in this great big expanse of our life where another example, we used to, for most of our one kilometre walk of history, the only time we made stress hormones was when our life was literally in danger or there was no food left in the world there was an actual famine and the body has not yet learned to discern between say the adrenaline we make when our life's in danger so a car drives out in front of us and we've suddenly got a slam on our brake it can't tell the difference between that adrenaline and the adrenaline we make when we're I don't know having lots of coffee and we're worrying about 600 unopened emails and running late for a meeting it's all the same to the body so 
the rapid pace of change that we've undergone as a species is somewhat confusing to our ancient chemistry. And I, it's part of what I try to do in my work, Shelley, is help people to, to work out a new way to communicate the truth to our body, which is that we're safe because the body responds to the information we give it. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're constantly and unknowingly producing a lot of stress hormones, uh, it, it doesn't understand that it's safe. So we've got to communicate the truth to our body. I think that's another big part of, um, yeah, really healthy aging is is getting to the heart of that. Well, I can only imagine back then too when you were in threat of being eaten alive due to wild animals or whatever it might be, um, that that stress lasts for a short time because you either find safety or eliminate the problem when you're talking about daily stress, and as you say, whether it is the 6,000 emails that are waiting, whether you're running late for something, whether you've got a big meeting, whether that, that heightened level of stress can continue all day, can't it? If you don't, mm. as you say, turn your body off and, and slow that down and tell yourself you're safe, you could be functioning at that high adrenaline level for, for hours at a time. Mm, spot on. And it, that is such a massive shift in what we're experiencing at the moment because never before have we had the constant relentless output of stress hormones because most of our stress hormones today come from how we think, whereas exactly what you said in the past, it was a genuine threat to our life, but as soon as we'd run away or fought the fight, the adrenaline went back to baseline and it might have been three weeks or three months before there was another threat, whereas for a lot of people now, it's wake up in the morning, think about everything you've got to get done in the day it's already jam-packed and then you open your emails and there's piles of new emails and you think, how am I going to fit that into what I've already got to do today? Would Caffeine leads the body to make adrenaline. It's Another thing too I think is I, I feel that we've lost touch with uh, the way we still as adults seek the approval of others. So, for example, we, we have a... Um, I've heard this a lot over the last two years with people working from home. A colleague will ring you and say, where's that work? I needed it yesterday. Mm. Now, we don't actually hear what someone says. We hear what we think they meant. And so when someone rings you and says, where's that work? What we've also heard is they think I'm incompetent or they think I'm inefficient or I'm not a hard worker. And it's actually our perception of their disapproval of us that's stressful. It's not the request for the work that is actually stressful. So I think part of addressing how we've come to constantly and relentlessly produce stress hormones in modern times requires us to do some inner work and remember that so much of what we think isn't true. And we needed the approval of others when we were babies so that people would give us food and clothing and shelter so we could actually survive. But as adults, a life with love and approval in it is lovely, but we can get our own food and clothing and shelter, but we still live our lives as if we need the approval of others to survive. And it's a, it's a very rewarding exploration to dive into when we, when we want to go there. So if our, if our liver is actually detoxing the things that we physically put into our bodies, how do we detox our minds of all of that that we're taking on board? What, what's your theory for that? So I think that if you sort of set out to think, okay, I'm going to become aware of all the thoughts I think that deprive myself of happiness, or I'm going to try to catch myself in the act of judging myself. So I ate too many chocolate biscuits and then we that might be true, but then we often put a comma in that sentence and go, therefore I'm hopeless, I'm pathetic, I have no willpower. And the second part of the sentence isn't true. You've made it up and it's a judgment and it's actually that judgment of yourself and that harsh 
self-talk that's going to lead you to go back and eat more chocolate biscuits later that day or the next day. And that keeps you in that vicious cycle. Whereas if we can introduce curiosity to our choices, it's far more beneficial. So I ate too many chocolate biscuits. I wonder what led me to do that. Okay. Was I actually hungry? Yeah. It was time for afternoon tea. I had a really pathetic lunch. There wasn't enough sustenance in it. Of course, I'm going to be hungry in the middle of the afternoon. Cut yourself some slack. Okay. I can see I love sweet food in the middle of the afternoon. I need to get organized. I need to make some little bliss balls from seeds and nuts and a few dates or whatever. And I need those in my freezer so I can grab two when I feel like that. So that would be a a productive solution. Or I can see that I smashed the chocolate chocolate biscuits. What led me there was actually I came out of a meeting and my colleague said X, Y, Z, and I can see that that actually hurt my feelings, but I put on a brave face in the meeting and was really professional and I'm eating the biscuits because I'm trying to numb myself from my fear basically that they think I'm you know, not a hard enough worker or not good at my job or whatever it is. So and in if other I hadn't words, I'm had a half a bottle of wine the night before, the, the restless night, the coffee in the morning, the sugar rush in the afternoon, then I probably wouldn't be feeling any of these things either. So around and around exactly. and around we go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's it's pulling the thread out of the vicious cycle at whatever point you want to pick on. I like that idea of curiosity rather than blame. Sort of ask yourself the question, why am I feeling this way? Why did I act this way? Why am I doing this way? And unravelling that to work it out what it is for you because it's going to be different for everybody, isn't it? 100%. And, again, that being honest with yourself, which I think is one of the hardest things we can do. We can all find excuses for something. We can all find reasons. um, But that real honesty to yourself, which you don't have to share with anyone else as to why a particular situation has driven you crazy or or pushed you to that packet of chocolates. But um, yeah, if you are honest inside, then you can start to to be more uh, productive about the solution to things. Very much so. And instead of just bouncing from, you know, lots of people are very sensitive and there's real beauty in that but we often bounce from interaction to interaction and we allow our own happiness or contentment or inner peace to be determined by the way we perceive others are towards us. Mm. So curiosity can really help to break that. And because a great question to ask when you feel really sensitive to others is I wonder what's going on for them. Because when people Mm. behave in a lousy way, it's they're usually not in a great place themselves. I'm not excusing truly, truly unacceptable behaviour, of course, but sometimes when someone flies off the handle at us, it's um, well, it's mm. a reflection of what's happening for them. I say that to my girls all the time, even with playground behaviour. I'm like, just mm. stop and have a think about what that particular child might be going through because it isn't normal behaviour for, for kids to sort of act out or, or express themselves in those ways if, if they're not going through something. And I guess they're probably uh, more explosive Uh, whereas adults can perhaps hide it a little bit better. But you're right, there's always something going on in someone else's life. We've all just got to be a little bit more caring and understanding of each other as well. But if all our livers were functioning well, then maybe this would be a happier place. Exactly. Aren't your girls lucky that they have... (laughs) Such such an enlightened mother. (laughs) It's only really happened since I started with the ageing project. But as I said, this is such a learning curve for all of us and, and we are really just on a journey to be being better people and living longer and healthier and happier lives. A super quick pause in our conversation. Have you heard the news? The Ageing Project has a sister platform called You Must Try It. 
It's come about because like you, we want to age well, but that means knowing which products or brands to buy. And let's face it, with so many products on the market, it's becoming harder to choose. So with the guidance of our in-house wellness team, we are doing the research for you. You'll only find tried, tested and loved products on youmusttryit.com. So if that's of any interest, go and sign up. We'd love you to join us. Okay, let's get back to our chat. What can we do to support our livers better so that this cycle does become a little less um, violent and progressive as it goes around and around? (laughs) Yeah, so I think we need to get honest. It's not about having none of these things. It's about how often we do them. I really believe if we're drinking alcohol every day, it's too much. And I, I would always challenge someone, has it become more of an emotional crux? I get people to do an exercise sometimes with whatever the drink, if they want to drink less. Um, you know, whatever it is, if it's wine or gin and tonic, finish the sentence, gin and tonic is, and then you'll start to see what it represents for you. So it's the only way I can relax, for example, is a common one I hear. And that can be a story we've made up to justify our choices. Or Because if we actually look at our drinking patterns, it's often what we it's often what we're doing while we have the drink that we love the most so we might be connecting with the person we love the most in the world it might be the first time in our day that we give ourselves permission to stop uh it might be uh yeah that that it's yeah it's this big out breath it might take our focus away from a huge amount of work we've still got to do later in the evening but we don't necessarily need the drink to do that you can pour yourself a glass of sparkling water freshen it up with some lemon and lime and and still enjoy that and still take still sit down and have the conversation with the person you love the most in the world so part of looking after our liver is addressing our consumption of those liver loaders and having fewer of them and sometimes that's as simple as a decision other times I think you've got to look at what those things are to you so mm-hmm. you, uh, have less caffeine have less alcohol uh Choose spray-free food if you can. Sometimes we can shop at farmers markets and buy spray-free produce or organic produce. And again, that's not accessible for everyone. It's not affordable for everyone. So if that's the case, sometimes it's helpful to think, okay, I want to have fewer pesticides going in. So with a banana, I'm going to peel a banana. And I don't know how much of the pesticides actually penetrate the skin and get to the fruit. So maybe a conventional banana is no problem. Whereas with an apple, I'm going to eat the whole thing. So where I can, I'll buy an organic or spray-free apple, uh, you know, if that, if that can help with the budget, for example. So uh, it also might mean that we become aware of what we're putting on our skin, what we're cleaning our households with. So there are all the different ways we can decrease our exposure. Uh, and then we want to enhance our liver function. So the liver loves bitter foods. And this is just such a cool thing about our body. It's because a lot of things in nature that have a bitter taste base are poisonous. So, but broccoli is bitter. It's probably some little kids think it's poisonous, but it's not. (laughs) It's full of nutrition. (laughs) And when we put something that's bitter on our taste buds, the body, the liver instantly gets a message that it's got to upregulate its detoxification pathways in case what's being what's entering is poisonous but obviously when we eat bitter foods and they're not poisonous you upregulate your detox mechanisms and you're getting all the goodness from it so that's why bitter foods are so wonderful and that's all your green leafy vegetables especially that so, is amazing so basically your taste buds put your liver into fight or flight to be ready for right. action when whatever it is yep. reaches them 
Yep, exactly. God, Doesn't that blow your mind? It does blow my mind. It, it yeah. absolutely does. Yes. I can understand now why you've spent your whole life studying this stuff because you must get a blown mind every day about something new. Every single day. Yep. <laughs> and so when we when we support it with better foods, uh, we talked about uh, the brassica family of vegetables. The garlic, onion, shallots give us uh, sulfur, so does egg yolks. Uh, the liver loves all of that. It loves our protein. It basically loves whole real food, which is 75 years ago, that's all food was. It was whole real food, whereas I worry now that there's a whole generation of people coming through who live on ultra-processed food and they think that's food. In my world, that's not food. So we want to focus on eating plenty of whole real food because it contains all of the nutrients our detoxification pathways need. And sometimes it's not just the nutrients like vitamins and minerals, things like iron and sulfur, zinc and magnesium. Sometimes it's not just the micronutrients the liver needs, but it needs those some of the substances that are unique to foods to drive it. So for example, in the brassica veggies, there are big long silly words called sulforaphane and glucoraphanin and indoles, and they actually drive the phase two pathways in the liver that deal with estrogen. So uh, there, there are substances unique to plant foods that, are, that we need to actually detoxify, our, our, detoxify what we're exposed to effectively. Well, I think it's such a beautiful message that we've heard from many of our guests and it is that reoccurring theme of just good, wholesome, healthy food. If it's really only been 75 years since we've undone ourselves and got ourselves in this whole world of trouble, do you think it's possible for us to return to to what life was um, or just is is it more awareness than anything? Shelley, I'm an eternal optimist uh, and I... I feel that there is growing awareness of how important food is. I'm a, we've seen the growing interest in regenerative farming and that's tremendously exciting to me because all health begins in the soil. We, Despite all of our technological advances, we still owe our entire existence to the quality of 30 centimetres of topsoil and the fact that it rains. And we have to thank our farmers because if they stop caring, the entire world's going to fall apart. So I do think there's growing awareness of the interconnectedness of the things that people might care about, like nutrition uh, or energy or health or hormone balance or ageing gracefully, whatever it is, uh, it's... So it, it all does begin with the soil and uh, so I do think there's a, a real awareness of the interconnectedness of all of that and it helps us to care far more widely uh, about our choices and where we spend our money, for example. So I'm eternally hopeful and um, that we can heal, heal it all. <laughs> Sounds like a winning formula to me. As our expert this week, Dr Libby, how do you live your life what 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 are your rituals and how does your day begin uh so I do whatever I feel like in the morning so sometimes so for me that's my morning ritual it's whatever I feel like doing I used to when I was younger I was very rigid with that it had to be a certain thing I used to do tai chi for half an hour every morning and that was where I was at that was what I needed at that time whereas now it's just soul nourishment so sometimes that's sitting outside and looking at the trees Sometimes it's gazing out the window for three minutes and feeling thankful that I get to be part of a new day. Other times it might involve some exercise or it might be reading. It's it's different every day, but there's always just that space that's just whatever's good for my soul and that's always how it starts. 
Uh, I have chickens in the backyard and grow some of my own food. So some of the day involves playing with them. My chickens, uh, Moira, Moira, Alexis and Stevie, they're named after the women in Schitt's Creek, that TV show that I watched. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs a chicken called Alexis, let me assure you. Um, I'll write that down, yes. She's hilarious. <laughs> so there's usually something like that. And then I get to do my work in the world, which, um, yeah, is is a great gift. It's very uplifting. I feel that we so often deplete ourselves because we do things out of duty and I think as we age we slowly but surely, or certainly is the case for me, give ourselves permission to be who we really are and there's just so much beauty and authenticity and there's the tension comes out of your body when you're authentically yourself and uh, so, yeah, that's it's really varied what I do in a day but um, I try to always just be my silly self. Mm. Well, I love your silly self. Here it is. We love a challenge here too at The Ageing Project. Baby steps but challenges all the same. So if you could challenge our listeners to just changing one thing this week that we can build on from them regarding what we've chatted about today, what, what's the one thing we can kick off with? So the, the, what I would say is increase your green vegetable intake. There's lots of people who aren't good at having less of anything. I really get that. <laughs> so instead of focusing on having less of something, focus on having more green vegetables consistently every day because they have that bitter taste base. They regulate detoxification and also the bitterness on your taste buds wants, naturally pushes you towards wanting less sweet food. Sweet foods starts to taste a bit sickly when you've got decent amounts of bitter foods going in. So to care for our liver, that would be the step I would encourage people to take. Just focus on having more green veggies. We can do that, surely. I did hear that that asparagus has something in it that chocolate also has in it. So if you're having a chocolate craving, if you eat asparagus, then you're going to be satisfied. I can't see how that is remotely possible. Is there any truth in that statement at all? What I what I found more successful is if for people who love chocolate and they want to have less of it, get a date, a fresh date, and remove the seed and then put two almonds in the middle of it and you'll get the crunch that you want from the chocolate and the sweetness from the date. I have found that far more successful, Shelley, than asparagus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to give that a try too. (laughs) Dr Libby, we cannot thank you enough for your time today. This has been an enormous learning curve yet again. We've got some great things to put into play and obviously a lot more learning coming our way. And if anyone would like to know more about Dr Libby, what she's up to, what she's doing, she does have an extraordinary website and blog um, and I'm sure she's there on Insta too giving you all her tips and tricks of the trade. But Libby, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Shelley. have loved chatting to you. Thank you for the great energy you bring to the world. Oh, look, any time. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, how we love Dr Libby. Uh, before this conversation, I had very little appreciation for my poor old liver. It's safe to say after decades of neglect, hello, coffee, white food and toxic skin products, perhaps it's time I showed you a bit more love, liver. And the liver roll, new concept for me, I'm pleased to hear Dr Libby say, with love, we can reduce this very quickly. Ladies, let's tune into our bodies a little bit more. Let's understand them and, of course, appreciate them. We've only got one and, as they say, it's the most valuable piece of real estate we will ever own. 
If you enjoyed today's chat, please help us spread the word with a review or forward onto one of your mates. Uh, until next time, I'm your host, Shelley Craft, travelling on the same ageing world journey as you and doing my best and remembering progress, not perfection, is what matters. Thanks so much for listening and being part of the Ageing Project community. Chat to you next week. The Aging Project is brought to you by Poly Studio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.